Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, everybody. Welcome into episode seven of Managing Expectations. We are back after a week off due to the frustrations of the prior week's um, technical difficulties and me not planning out very well. But here we are with my main man, Ari Lillianwall, who did this on kind of last-minute ask. So we'll see. He's coming in cold, plug-and-play off the bench. You just respect it a lot. Ari, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be the utility man, just ready to uh, play my role, give 110%, and uh, trust in the process. So we have you on the roster. We know that we can rely on you. You know, you, you know, low maintenance, high reward, high effort. Def uh, guy. Just love to see it. Um, Def guy. <laughs> the Kellen Rowe of this podcast right now. Play yeah. everywhere. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk a little CCL. Um, I know if you're listening to this on a podcast, hopefully me getting this up on Wednesday or it'll be Thursday if there's more technical difficulties. But regardless, um, if you're listening live right now, CCL Talk is mostly for you. Uh, so feel free to skip ahead if you're not. But we'll talk CCL. We'll talk uh, Vancouver Whitecaps. I just reported that they're making a, uh, in advanced discussions to sign a defensive mid- Paraguayan defensive midfielder, Andres Kubas, uh, very highly rated. We'll talk about that. FC Cincinnati made a DP signing. Um, Philadelphia Union are really great. I want to talk about them. Charlotte's DP, Camille Jozwiak, I believe is how it's pronounced in Polish, um, joined training for the first time this week. So there's plenty to talk about, um, Ari. But yeah, let's start with CCL. So if you're listening to this um, again tonight, NYCFC host at Red Bull Arena, uh, the Seattle Sounders. Sounders coming in this game with a 3-1 aggregate lead. Quick reminder for those who have been watching the UEFA Champions League, where away goals do not affect as a tiebreaker in the CCL away goals do still count as a tiebreaker. So, Ari, 3-1, uh, what are you expecting tonight? Um, well, I'm excited for the game. Uh, we know for a fact that there's going to be at least one MLS representative in the CCL final. Um, nice. Right now, yeah, you, you know, uh, this could be the year. Um, no, I mean, I said it last time I was on your show, but uh, this is as realistic a year as I can remember uh, in recent years. Uh, for a MLS team to actually go all the way. Someone's going to have a chance to do it. Um, you got Seattle up 3-1 right now. But I don't I don't think – Alvaro Resnack was talking about it yesterday. I don't think that's – it's by no means an insurmountable situation right. for NYCFC. They are good enough to – they 2-0 result puts them through outright. You know, so they're, they're plenty capable of doing that. Um that said, I think Seattle has to like their chances from where they sit. They know they're capable of closing out a series like this, and they just did it against Club Leon in the last round. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but, you know, I, 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 so I didn't watch the, um, the other semifinal series between Cruz Azul and Pumas last night. I was traveling, but I caught up on the result this morning, and uh, Puma went through. And look, I mean, both of those teams are good, um, but they're they were both beatable and Pumas is definitely beatable. They're mid table in Liga MX right now. They're not a juggernaut that NYCFC or Seattle couldn't compete with and beat in the next round. Um, so I'm I'm mainly looking forward to who's actually going to go through and then just super excited for the finals. 
What do you think Schmetzer – how do you think Schmetzer is going to approach the game tonight with a 3-1 lead? Is it going to be Kellen Rowe as that kind of double pivot next to Jao Paulo, or is it going to be something uh, maybe a little bit more conservative, maybe bring in um, Obed Vargas or Josh Atencio? Um, I don't think you'll see Rowe in the double pivot. He's been he's been kind of deputizing out – That was one of the names that, that, I, that I didn't use. I said Rusnak. Do you think that Rusnak is oh, going to be the double said, pivot, or is, it, or is no. it going to be a natural yes. defensive midfielder? Uh, I think you'll see him go out there – with the same first choice 11 that they've been using with new who coming back in from suspension. So I think you'll see new who start tonight and it seems like, I don't know where they're at with the experiment um, with Rusnak playing in the double pivot with Jao Paulo, but it really worked in the first leg. I'm, I, I liked how it looked. There was kind of some questions with that as to if that's the best you know, use of Rusnak's skill set. Um, mm. But I thought he showed the kind of stuff he can he can do. He was um, he was better defensively than I was expecting in the in the yeah. first leg. He he works pretty hard on both sides of the ball, which is not really the perception I had of him in my years watching him from RSL. I never considered him like a liability defensively, but no, yeah, I, I didn't know he had that in his locker. To be honest, yeah. yeah, he's not what comes to mind when you when you're thinking of you know really high work rate on both sides of the ball kind of type player. He did well with that and his super press passing, resistant. That that was yeah. so useful. NYCFC have, if not the best, one of the best presses in the league, um, particularly right. with Tati Cassianos. He's an elite defensive forward. All these other athletic, um, high energy, smart kind of players that are in the midfield for them, like Kellen uh <laughs> now you got me saying it again. Albert Rusnak was like you already know Jao Paulo the same thing. He's, he's really difficult to get the ball off of he, he's such a smart player. He's just so good at that DM role. But Having Rusnak next to him, it, it's it's almost you know he's not nobody's Nagby level in terms of press resistance. Um, you have to be doing it for longer to to kind of be in that tier because that's God tier. But it was something close to it. He was he was never kind of frazzled. He never looked like he was under pressure. Um, I forget I was interviewing somebody who, who who had a really good quote of like there's one thing to be pressured and there's another thing to feel pressured. He never felt pressured, and I think that that was like a really great and a really smart move by Spencer to put him there in like one. Yeah, I, I and I I also kind of just like the idea fundamentally of having an eight like that, but that also has the super dynamic attacking skill set. You know, we all everyone who's watched RSL the last five years knows the kind of stuff Rusnak can do mm-hmm. in, in attack. Um, so putting him there, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a wrinkle that you don't typically see at that spot on the field to that degree. Because yeah. I mean, he's just a guy that's you know more. More typically deployed higher up the field, but anyway, getting back to uh, kind of gotten off on a tangent there. I mean, I think I think he'll be back in the double pivot just because of how that worked in the first leg, um, and and then in attack, I'm I'm very much expecting to see the same front four of uh, Nicholas Ladero centrally, um, flanked by Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan and Raul Ruiz Diaz up top. I mean, I think that's kind of the unit that. Schmetter's been rolling with in CCO, and mm-hmm. um, I, I would see no reason for him to change that going into this game. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I mean, part of the reason why I think that um, Albert Rusnak was so successful in, in addition to all the qualities, obviously, he has. I think that one thing that we're not looking at, though, is um, Christian Roldan makes the game just so much easier for everybody around him. I don't think we talk about that enough. Xiao Paulo, same thing, but again, to have a hybrid winger, center mid, whatever you want to call that, that Christian Roldan's playing the right wing, like, that it, having that kind of security blanket around you and somebody who, you know, massages space in just a way that, again, few players, I think, uh, were smart with, as smart as the movement that he does, the the connection he has with his brother kind of coming up at, at right back and, and, you know, again, 
understanding where to get the best from Nico, where to get the best from, I guess, give Albert Ruzanak cover or give him more space. Like, I, I think that the game is just much easier when you're playing between Jao Paulo and Christian Roldan. So um, even if, again, Albert Ruzanak wasn't a DP, wasn't somebody who's this, you know, MLS proven in his prime player, like, I think that that's part of the reason why Obed Vargas, Josh Tensio have been able to kind of find success at young ages. So, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see one of them come in. Again, I wouldn't call that conservative, but it would at least give another layer of defending for this team again with a two goal cushion here against NYCFC who will be without Maxi Morales, which I think is going to be really, really difficult, particularly kind of in that first leg, they really missed him. Um, it's, it's always nice to be reminded how good this player is. So it's unfortunate that NYCFC don't have him, but um, on that we'll move on again, just in case the majority of people who might not be listening right now or live, maybe, you know, we're talking about um, a result that already happened if, if it's already New Year's, but moving on, you know, 10 minutes before we were about to start this space is why it was a little delayed. Um, I was able to run down a report that the Vancouver Whitecaps are in advanced talks to sign a Paraguayan defensive midfielder, Andres Kubas from French club Nimes. Um, I'm told that the deal isn't all the way done, but it is very close. It would be flexible in the sense that he could be a DP. And if I had to guess, I think that they would make him a DP, but he can be bought down to high TAM. The reason why I guess that they would make him a DP is, they have an open DP spot and functionally because they have three U22 initiative players, that final DP has to be a young DP, which Kubas is not, or somebody that's under the max TAM threshold. So there's no real advantage to making him a high TAM player. You're just using up allocation money that could be used elsewhere. So I assume that they'll make him a DP if this deal gets over the line at first and then kind of reassess if they want to get a young DP or if Lucas Cavallini moves on or whatever it is. But um, I guess, Ari, I'm not sure how much of the Whitecaps you watched this year. From what I was told, they were looking for an upgrade at this spot in, as a ball-winning defensive midfielder or at least somebody who's going to add more competition. I think that pretty clearly this this is somebody who's in their best 11, If again, if the deal gets signed, next to Kyle Alexandre uh, when he returns from injury. I think that's a good combination of like a deep-lying playmaker and kind of a more hard-man ball winner. Um, you know, what, what do you think, I guess, about the Whitecaps season and, and if this is something that they, you know, really needed to upgrade on? Yeah, I haven't watched – every Whitecaps game, but I've watched a fair amount. My, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know my, anything about um, the signing that they just made other than what you just relayed. But my first reaction is kind of, you know, I think the, the problem that the Whitecaps have been having to start this year is that they can't score. I mean, remember last year, uh, how fun they were in attack when mm-hmm. Ryan Gold first got here and Brian White was starting to go off. He was just banging in goals every week. And they really – and then, you know, you had the Danny Sartini effect where he came in and galvanized the whole group. Um, one of the great personalities in the league, for sure. And they were just this really fun team down the stretch. And then so far this year big name that they have Pedro V but it just anyway so I don't know how much this signing uh will have a ripple effect as far as you know helping them have more success going forward but I don't I don't mean I don't know what do you think because my first reaction is it's probably this guy seems talented but I don't know if that's it doesn't seem like that's skill set is necessarily what they need that at least that's my first reaction 
I, I think that it'll have a good knock-on effect. Um, early in the season, there, there were a couple questionable decisions. I think it was over-tinkering from Vanny Sartini. Like, Ryan Gold was playing in central midfield, and they kind of inverted the way that they play. They, that they finished the season last year. It was more like a 3-4-2-1 last year. They made it a 3-1-4-2 at the beginning of the season, and that meant Ryan Gold was playing as a number eight, and they had a defensive midfielder behind them. I don't know if that was personnel or, or what was directly behind that, but I think that if you have a more accomplished, I guess, ball winner, somebody that, that they trust more, this should, and, and I really hope it does, free up kind of Gold to be playing kind of a free role, second forward or number 10. I think this team can be really good with, with Brian White as a center, but the attack can be fine, rather, as with Brian White as a center forward with Ryan Gold underneath him and, and Pedro Vite or Diver Caicedo, but I, I, you know, I've, I've heard a lot, a lot, a lot of good things about Vite. And I'm really excited to watch him get a run of games in here. He's, he's had limited minutes, obviously. He's 20 years old. Um, it takes a little while for anybody to adapt to the league. But again, I think that their attack is going to be in a fine place as long as, you know, Christian Dahomey has been playing as, as a wing back. That hasn't been great. And then they had Christian Gutierrez as like a left center back last game. That wasn't great. I don't know. I think that this at least has a knock on effect that it should help kind of take away some of that tinkering. And I think that this will make it a little bit easier for uh, to find the best 11. And again, just want to stress one more time that this deal is not done. It's not over the line. Nothing's nothing's signed and, and no, no paperwork is kind of filed. But um, again, multiple sources have said that, that it's looking good. Um, obviously, they want to be careful to not have this fall through at the last minute. But, you know, as of right now, it's not there. He's, he's 25 years old. Um, he just he recently switched to be uh, uh, Paraguayan. He's a dual national. He's from Argentina, but he could represent Paraguay. He hasn't made a senior debut with Paraguay. Um, but he came through at the Boca Juniors Academy. He played for CA uh, Tayeris, where uh, Thomas Pochettino, among other uh, former MLSers, have come from. And then he went to France to Nîmes when they were in the top flight last year, reported fee of around $3 million. Um, he made 27 appearances in, in Ligue 1, and they got relegated. And this year, he's been kind of a regular with them again. So, I don't know. I think that it, it, it's a really good profile. It's, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people, again, limit, in the limited 15 minutes before we kind of jumped on here. Uh, pretty highly rated. I know there was, uh, the Red Bulls were reportedly in on him, and it seems like some local writers around the Red Bulls have confirmed those reports. So, again, he, he's somebody that his profile seems to lend to this league. It, it seems like it'd be a good signing. Uh, French reports say the fee is around 3 million, uh, 3 million euros. That is, I haven't gotten that confirmed, but that's something that would feel fair just given his profile, his track record, and everything else. Cool, man. Well, hopefully uh, <laughs> the caps become – fun again that's my main hope for the whole thing because they were they really were fun to watch last year and it's yeah. been kind of it's been kind of deflating to to watch the start of the season here um because yeah i don't know they just they just don't have the the same bite right now as they did last year and i think there's probably reason to expect their form to even out anyway uh with brian white coming back i mean he was such a key for them last year so i think that yeah. alone should give a boost um, but I'll be interested to see um, what effect this new guy has and uh, if they can get their season turned around. New Jersey, Mario Gomez, Brian White, that is. I'm contractually obliged to mention that. Uh, moving on, there's speaking of potential DP signings, there's one that has absolutely 100% already happened. Um, FC Cincinnati signed a defensive midfielder. Obi Wobidu is how GM Chris Albright kind of slowed it down for everybody and how to pronounce it. Um, I might just go with Obi for the rest of this podcast because I don't have enough confidence in it. But they say he's a Nigerian. He's in his prime. He, he played for he played in Turkey where he was kind of off the charts in terms of, you know, ball recoveries, uh, pressures, interceptions, tackles, all that. Um, that obviously comes with a caveat that in we haven't, you know, defensive analytics is something that's difficult to put out, you know positioning versus is whatever and and again opportunities this team was kind of 
second to worst in Turkey. So obviously he had a lot of time defending and a lot of time to be able to rack up those numbers. But Cincinnati are, are very high on him. They, they, they believe in his kind of ground covering, his defensive actions, and look like he spent a lot of time defending in Turkey. Um, he's going to be doing a lot of that with Cincy, just kind of given the state of the team. I think that this is another step in the right direction. This is, again, they've desperately needed a defensive midfielder um, since Albright took over in September. And to his credit, in, uh, at a press conference today, he was saying that, you know, they, he was kind of brought to his attention by the analytics group pretty much in his first days when he started. So this was in September and they've been to Turkey. They've watched him play live a few times. They've, they've been, they had been able to sit with him and talk with him, you know, before this deal was done. It took a while to get the deal done. And they hope that he's able to debut within a month. But, you know, timelines are obviously hazy when it comes to the immigration stuff and, and getting your P1 visa, getting everything that, that you need to be ready to debut in MLS. But, you know, help is on the way for Cincinnati and much needed help at defensive midfield. signing was that it doesn't necessarily uh, bring the skill set to mind that I would think they need. This definitely for sure does sound <laughs> like exactly what they need. Um, I mean, we've been talking about their defense ever since they came into MLS. Um, their goals conceded the last in their first three seasons, right? Have been, they, they're like up in the 60s and 70s. So, uh, when uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the stats are nuts. When Albright and Noonan came in, that was the big, big thing uh, that they fixed and said they were going to fix. Um, and for however it looks like expected goals, stats through six weeks for a post we were doing the other day, and since he is third, I think, in MLS in expected goals, mm. um, and Brandon Vasquez is – been one of the big early season revelations in the league and they just look much more dangerous in general but then you look at it and they've still conceded 14 goals um so you know until that evens out they're gonna they're gonna have a hard time staying above the playoff line and if so if this guy can help them do that um since he they, i i think um you know even with it's still pretty high this year, and they're still at a negative six GD. Don't you think that there's been some pretty actual tangible progress so far? Like from where I sit, um, I wouldn't dub them an Eastern Conference contender, but I could see them hanging around in that six, seven, eight range. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe even I, know, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I go that far yet. No, you're still that okay. But That's, I think it, I it appreciate all... the optimism. Look. I think that they are also doing tangible, positive movements. I think that there have been good signs under Pat Noonan and under Chris Albright. There's a difference between not winning a spoon and being seventh and in the playoff race. I think that there's somewhere between there. Um, I, 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 again, I, I think that this is going to be a super important signing. I don't, I really don't understand why the, you know, the previous regimes, because there's been multiple front offices, they, ha they haven't had a defensive midfielder. Like they just, it, yeah. I feel like that these are basic things that they just have overlooked. And, and even th this offseason, they brought in Junior Moreno. It took a little while. And again, and I'm sure that this means that they were kind of in talks here for, for Obi. They were probably looking at other targets because they needed more than one center, uh, central midfielder. They were obviously a little cap tied when it comes to everything, all, all the decisions that the previous regime made. Um, Yu Yakubo was able to be bought down as a DP. Alan Cruz hasn't played this year. I, I don't believe I haven't. I just looked at the stats recently, but believe he hasn't really played at all. So they needed multiple uh, midfielders, defensive midfielders for Noonan's preferred four four two diamond. They've been playing with a three five two or five two one two. If you want to be more technical, 
I think that that's good. Again, this is a signing that's just absolutely desperately needed. Yeah, uh, again, I, the defense, the back, the back line is still. They're going to need more signings, but it this was a really big rebuild, and this is just one step at a time. And as long as they don't rush to kind of like in one hand, I think that they really needed to have these kind of pieces in already. But on the other hand, like they've made a ton of signings and they've spent a lot of money over the first few years and it has been awful. So I, I like, I'm good to give the benefit of the doubt to say, okay, it would have been ideal if he was here a month and a half ago, but if he's the right signing, who cares? I, I was going to bring up the whole you, uh, you thing because they signed him as a DP a DP forward, a DP forward. And I remember um, last year, I, I was kind of looking around at some stats, and I, I was I was just looking at Cincy's roster, and I saw he had he had he was at zero goals, zero assists through like two thousand minutes, uh, and I I tweeted something about it about how that was kind of a remarkable stat, you know, how they have this DP attacker who has who's zero zeroing, and I had a, I had a couple Cincy fans reply, and they were like, well, actually, we dropped him back to uh, to D mid, and he's been really good. He's probably been the best player on the team back there just you know doing all the dirty work running around cleaning out tackles and stuff and it's like okay that's great but that is not uh what it felt like it felt like um but like they were in a situation where they just didn't have any out of my man so yeah had to drop him in and then now you're in a situation where you're paying him dp money to play a position that's not his drop way deeper where he's not you know helping you and attack as much though it's just kind of one of those things that happens when your roster is kind of all over the place and not well constructed um so at least it seems like those things are improving um and to get back to my original take i don't want to go on record predicting that they're gonna make all right, all right, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off. Either, dude, either rejoin or, or or reset your Wi-Fi or something because it, that's like the fourth time that you've just gotten completely undercut by um, poor audio. Uh, so again, either feel free to rejoin or, or reset your Wi-Fi, whatever okay. it is. Um, I'll okay. I'll for leave now, but yeah, time. yeah, I would. It's like the third or fourth time it happened, so I was making sure that it wasn't just me. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, feel free to try to get that sorted if you want. Um, but yeah, I think that's. I think that's fair. And the same way that I've been trying to not um, like Brenner was bought for $13 million. He, he, you know, there was very few people in the world that thought he was worth that money. And they, it's the, the person making the decisions of Cincinnati was one of them. So I don't want to kind of hold against Brenner that he was a $13 million player. Like it's not his fault that he was kind of overvalued. Similarly with Kubo, it's not necessarily his fault that since he made a, made a bad decision on him and then had to, you know, push him back to central midfield to try to get him minutes and, and try to make him useful. Like I was at, at the time of the signing, I talked to some scouts, I talked to some people that it was a little suspect. They didn't think that he was going to fit well in MLS. And this was like, yeah, he, he like stopped working hard kind of on the wings. Like maybe he'll give you some goals, but he, I like the, the thing, the, the, the rub on him was, is that he's, he's not you know worth the 4 million or whatever they paid for him um, to be fair to him. You know, while he hasn't had the end product, even when he was playing in attack, he has been working hard in the midfield. He's not, really a center midfielder um so again i'm trying to look on the bright side here but yeah that's just you know an example of what 22 on the roster that they had to kind of try to get out of or get rid of when when this new regime kind of took over so again i'm trying not to be too critical and it's going to be one step at a time expectations should be low for this team um again but if if they get this d D mid signing right and if he really is 
the ground cover, the ball winner, the the disruptor that they kind of bill him to be and what they hope he'll be and what his stats show he'll be. That that's a great start. Brandon Vasquez is, is a starting center forward in this league. I think like that's good. Like they've done, you know, Lucho Costa is really good and it's and it's nice to see him playing kind of this system that that is a little better. He can get on the ball more. Thought he was fine last year, but you know, it was difficult to be fine under Yopstam. They you know, again, I cannot say enough bad things about what it looks like last year. So, you know, look, there are positive pieces. It's not a failure of a season if they don't make the playoffs. Like not not winning the, the spoon, so to speak, I think is honestly like a positive season. But as long as they have building blocks moving forward, and I think right now, like the way that Brandon Vasquez is playing the attack, the way Pat Noonan kind of has the team structured and moving, like that's all good. And and just they need to wait for time for some of these bad deals to kind of expire or be able to move from them. But look, I, I think it's it's early early days in this regime. Um, it was a little slow for a couple of signings to come in. But I think so far, you know, there's positive signings. We'll, we'll see how it looks. Um, Chris Albright said that they do hope to bring in some more signings, hopefully before the primary transfer window, which closes on May 4th. But regardless, this continues to be a work in progress. Um, Ari, it looks like you're back. Check, check. Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, good. I think that unless you have more Cincy takes, I, I think. We're I, I don't have more Cincy takes. I probably got time for one more round of takes before I got to go hop on the desk. All right, let's start with, uh, or let's go with, you know, a little love for Philadelphia Union. Um, look, sure. I, I think that people still look at them as like this underdog or this lovable story. I think that they're the the supporter shield favorites. I, I've been saying this kind of, maybe not necessarily favorites, but I've had had them in that like tier A of like the best teams in the league since the preseason. Uh, the way that they have a, a coach of the year candidate as a head coach, they have best 11 talent at goalkeeper, both center backs, left back, defensive mid. Uh, they they signed two DP center forwards. They had a second year of, of Daniel Gazak, who was looking really good with the Gostier, um in terms of improving on his first year in MLS. I just think that this team doesn't have many holes. Nathan Harriel has been really good at right back, and so now they have two options at right back. They have you know three high-quality, high-potential homegrowns in the midfield outside of the starting 11. I think that they have depth. I think that they have you know this defined way of playing. They, uh, again, Jim Curtin should be viewed as, as one of the best coaches in this league. I, I don't know why they're not talked about more as, again, shield favorites, not just shield contenders at, at this early stage. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to add to that other than, you know, I mean, I thought you out, outlined what makes them so good pretty well. Um, this is the best team in the league right now through six weeks. Um, the, that started 11, especially with the uh, coming in. Test. That seems like a great fit so far now that there's a little bit of a sample size to judge that on. Um, and I don't know. I just think Philly, um, what what most impresses me about about their organization is just this army of homegrowns. You know, mm-hmm. everybody is kind of trying to get in on the youth development circuit these days, um, but they do it as well as anyone. And when you have that, that is such a hack to all the roster limitations and kind of quirky rules that make MLS difficult to navigate that that can put you so far ahead of the eight ball and I think Philly's really showing that in the guys that they've developed and sold on you know look at what Brendan Aronson mm-hmm. is doing and then the guys that they have coming up that are playing and contributing it's impressive to watch it's part of the reason they're top of the table and they're probably going to be in the running for the supporter shield all season because they're very talented on the top end, and they are deep with a lot of good young homegrowns coming up. Yeah, and, and a lot of these best players have, have already been in the team. Like that defensive structure, you know, what really makes them great 
like Andre Blake's been there forever. Jack Elliott, Jacob Glessens, they were the stars last year. Kai Wagner's been a starter for a few years. Jose Martinez has been the starter for, I think, three or four years now, whatever it is. Like Alejandro Bedoya has been there for five years now. Like they have this structure that's in there. And to be able to add Mikel Ure and Julian Carranza, and Carranza, again, is looking like a great fit. I've, I've kind of given this nugget out before, but, like, I talked to people at Philly, and, and they were like, yeah, like, if he's as good as we think he is, like, that's probably our best transaction over the last, like, five or six years to get, a, like, a player who was bought for $6 million when he was 18 to get him on a free loan with a purchase option, which I still don't know what it is. But they were saying, you know, if he's as good, if he fits as, as well as we think he is, like, that's you know, we can't really do any better than that in terms of value. So, I don't know. I think that this team is just really good. Daniel Gosdog, I've been a huge believer in him um, since he signed. He didn't show his top form last year. I think he is so far this year. Even um, in that Columbus game, he missed two really, really good chances. He still has five goals on the season or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I, I just I, – I try to talk about this team as much as I can because, you know, they might not be the sexy LAFC, LA Galaxy, you know, Atlanta, what, you know, who, Seattle, whoever the air quote glamour teams are in this league. And I, I think that Philly are, are among the, the most aesthetically pleasing and the most successful teams in the league. Uh, moving on, I know you said you got to go in a few minutes. So speaking of, of teams, Charlotte FC, I've had a really good month um, after a, a bit of a slow start. I think that they were kind of unfairly heavily criticized. Uh, you know, they had some players arriving late. Speaking of players arriving, uh, Camille Jozwiak, Polish international DP that was signed about a month ago. Uh, took part in training this week for the first time. I believe he's speaking to the media today on Wednesday. Um, so there, I guess there's a possibility that he debuts this weekend. Uh, I think that that's – I'm not sure. I don't know where his fitness is. He hasn't played since January 30th when he picked up an injury that looked to be severe, and it wasn't as bad, um, thankfully, as they first feared. But when they were talking about this transfer, uh, negotiations between the clubs stopped due, due to that injury, and then they kind of came back to the table. Um, so, yeah, uh, they – or you need to figure out do not disturb next time. Um, but they're, they're a team that's going to be – look, they're trending upwards, and I think that they're just going to get better with time under Miguel and Al Ramirez and, and with these kind of attacking pieces. We'll see what Camille Yozuak can add, but um, I don't know. I think that they're going to be – they're still an exciting and fun team to watch. Sorry, I promise you do not disturb is on. I don't know why it's doing me like this. But, uh, no, I mean – Charlotte have really been playing some decent ball to start this expansion season. Um, I I w- didn't really have very many expectations for them. There was a lot of talk about how incomplete their roster was. Their coach was openly talking about how incomplete <laughs> their roster was, which, you know, kind of looking back on it, that kind of seems like some 4D chess, you know, set the expectations <laughs> low, make it seem like you're setting the internal expectations low, and then come out and actually be pretty competitive. Um, You know, three wins in your first seven games as an expansion franchise, that's nothing to sneeze at. They're averaging 1.29 points per game through those first seven games, which is obviously a very small early sample size. But, uh, I mean, I think you you can say pretty comfortably that they're, they're a team that can be can hang in this league. Um, I don't know if that ends in a playoff spot. They are 0-3 on the road, so they really they haven't been able to get that the away form figured out yet. But that's not that much of a surprise. That's probably the last thing that comes when you're a team coming into the league is learning how to uh, to travel. You know, that's the hardest mm-hmm. thing to, to do in this league. Um, but, I mean, I, yeah, so I don't know where, where your uh, broad picture takeaways stand on Charlotte, but I, I, I think it's fair to say they've definitely been exceeding expectations so far. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, I, I think people swung too low on them early in the season for whatever reasons. They, they didn't like, I guess, have Zoran Cornetta, the sporting director, talking, or, or Nick Kelly, the, the now CEO club president, and maybe Miguel Ramirez, maybe what he was saying. Whatever it was, I, I think that they kind of swung too low. They There, there was, like, a lot of skepticism about um, Carol Swiderski when he was signed. It was like, yeah, like, oh. Well, actually, he he wasn't great in Greece or oh, like he's a Polish international, but you know, not really a first choice player. But you know, I don't know. I, I look at this team; they they have a lot of room for improvement as well. Like I think Sergio Ruiz is going to be a really good player in this league. I think that Alan Franco is going to be a really good player in this league. Like Ben Bender, they believe that he's like if everything goes right and he hits his ceiling, he's got like national team pool um, potential. He's been really good to start the season. He's been one of the fun stories. But Daniel Rios was a decent trade. I didn't think that. Uh, Miguel Ramirez was going to ever play with two strikers. I thought that he was an ideologue for his 4-3-3. And for better or for worse, he was just going to kind of do it. So I've been impressed at his flexibility. Um, it, it, there are good signs. And, and again, this is maybe I'm, I'm just doing a straw man of, you know, I, I'm, I'm finding space again between uh, contending for the shield or being the uh, shield uh, for the spoon or being the favorites to be worse in the league. I, I never thought that they're going to be that bad. I think that they'll at least hang around in the playoff picture. I'm not, I, I don't think, that I, I tip them to make the playoffs at this point, but I don't know. I think that they're going to be a competitive team. I don't think that we're going to look back at this team. Like, you know, Minnesota year one, they, they ended up, they didn't finish bottom of the league, but they had like a really, really bad defense and goal difference. And it was pretty obvious early in the season that they were out of the playoff race. Like Cincinnati, obviously how bad their first season was. Um, Austin ended up finishing bottom of the West. They were out of the playoff race for a while last year. Like, I don't think that we're going to look at this team like that. Um, so again, maybe I'm just, splitting hairs in, in the terms of, of criticism and stuff. I don't think that they're going to be a great team, but I, I think again, we were talking about Cincinnati with positive signs. I think that they are laying a pretty good found work for a uh, foundation for, you know, improvement and, and a good kind of springboard. Yeah. I got to sign off TB, but the only thing that I add to what you just said, not even add, just uh, reinforce Ben Bender, man. I'm telling you, I've been, I've been beating this drum in the early season, but this guy really seems legit. Number one overall super draft pick. I just really love his all-around game. He does a little bit of everything out there. Um, he's been a key contributor for them, and he's pretty fun to watch. So, you know, if you haven't watched a lot of Charlotte this year, um, that that's one of the reasons to him and Sudersky, because that guy also is looking like a, he could be a potentially, like, very prolific, dominant forward in MLS. You know, it's still early for him, but he's just been banging in goals. And, like, pretty impressive goals too. The stuff he's doing out there for them so far is, has been fun to watch too. So that pretty much rounds out my Charlotte takes. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on again, Tom. I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, I I look forward to uh, hopefully your Wi-Fi and your phone being better. Um. (laughs) Hopefully the technical difficulties didn't ruin it. Sorry that my do not disturb doesn't work. (laughs) I almost threw my phone in frustration and that would have made me, um, kind of that would have ended everything. So at least that that's good that, that we got through that. Okay. Well, I will see, right. you, see you back on the group chat, man. Talk to you soon. Um, all right. I'll probably go for another 10 more minutes here. Give or take Jacob Schneider. I see him in the, in the zoom, in the zoom, in the, in the spaces. I'm going to bring you on for a few minutes. I did invite uh, Mark Kastner as well. Cause he yells at me a lot about jumping on and he hasn't responded to the request. So Jacob, welcome aboard. How you doing? Uh, pretty good time. How you doing? Happy Wednesday. I'm all right. It sounds like your audio is better. I haven't heard your phone vibrate, so that's that's always a good start. You know, when it comes to Ari Lillian Wall, the group chats, you know, responding to messages, random 
noises, buzzes, you know, just just anything. That's that's a classic Ari bit. I'm just not. I just don't understand how a technologically savvy person that he is. Do not disturb is a pretty simple feature. I'm I'm pretty much a caveman when it comes to when it comes to technology and stuff like that. But I feel like that's a basic one. Um, yeah. So we'll not get sucked into more to that. Yeah. Bring you on uh, kind of sub in here in the 75th minute, go a little bit longer. Um, I guess one of the topics I didn't get to with Ari, and I guess I'll just drive it here. Um, but inter Miami were fun last week. I'm not sure if you watch this game or not, but inter Miami were, were fun last week. And we'll, we'll do the caveats of new England. Weren't very good at all. They're still missing a decent number of starters. Um, but I don't want to do correlation causation or necessarily Ewing theory in that Miami are better without a Gonzalez going in, but it's undeniable that that attack was more fluid, <laughs> that they were more energetic. They were more difficult to play through body language. Doctor was off the charts compared to when Iguain is on the field. It was really funny after Campania, whichever one of the goals he scored. And then they looked, they put the camera on Iguain who was just stone faced. He, he looked like the team just 100%. conceded rather than they just scored. So I don't know. I don't want to read too much into, you know, body language doctor stuff, but, you know, it kind of confirms a lot of what we were seeing. And Campania is somebody who occupies similar areas to Gonzalo Higuain. So it was cool to watch him get a hat trick. Yeah, I mean, Campania is kind of turning out to be he, – he might be the guy for Inter-Miami. We still don't know who the guy is in, in terms of goal scoring, in terms of attacking prowess. But, you know, Campania is looking good. The team has really yet to – we haven't found an individual who's going to lead that roster yet. It's um, not him, by the way. It, it, like he, he scored a hat trick. He's fine. I'm happy for him there. But he, he's not a top end of the roster guy. I just yeah. want to put that out there. Yeah. So I mean, like it, it's just you know, I think Inter Miami's kind of waiting for a leader to set to step up and just be consistent. And it's all about consistency with their roster. I mean, uh, Lasseter's looking good. Robinson had a nice assist yeah. uh, on Campania, but you know, it's just I, like you said. I think Campania looked good, but. Higuain is yet to become that guy for them. I mean, he's been fine. He hasn't done anything particularly outstanding. He hasn't done anything particularly wrong. It's just, it yes, comes yes. down to consistency, I think. No, he's done, he, he's been a terrible leader in terms of body language. He, I, I, I don't know. It, it's when, when it comes to team culture and stuff, they've had some problems with that. It, it starts with him and, and just kind of look what he shows. You know, you could try to positively spin that in the competitiveness and demanding more of his teammates. But just wandering around the center circle, putting your arms up if a ball isn't completed to you isn't great. Um, not doing a lot of spacing. If, if, a, if somebody takes a shot that doesn't go in when he thinks he could have been passed, the ball could have been passed to him, he screams. I just think that that's all awful stuff. And look, like, if you want to act like that, you better put up 28 goals like your Zlatan Ibrahimovic. If you want to act like that, like, you better put up some big numbers. You better be leading to wins. And they have midfielders who theoretically should be doing the running for him if, when they want to play him in that kind of free number 10 role. <laughs> And it wasn't working out in their first games. They were just so easily sliced through. They were playing three defensive mids behind Gonzalo Higuain and Leo Campagna in attack, and they were still getting cut up defensively. Like Again, I think a lot of that comes to him. If you want to be the leader, you want to be the third highest player in the league, you, you want to be this guy who gets to yell at his teammates because you think you're better than, than, than them. And again, that, there's no denying that, that he's, his resume is fantastic. In his prime, he's one of the best strikers in Europe. But you know, right now, if you want, if you want to act like that, like for all the, the things that Matuidi did in terms of not bringing quality and particularly not living up to a DP tag. You know, at least there was never a lot of uh, signs of him screaming at people like that and, and, and kind of bringing the stuff down. I don't know. I, I'm pretty low on him in terms of that. Again, you, you need to score 20, 25 goals if you want to act like this. It reminds me of watching uh, CR7 at United right now under Ragnick. You know, I mean, he's he's been moved to the bench on a consistent basis because he expects everything to be given to him on a platter. And when it's not, he throws a tantrum in the final third. Or glares at his teammates, throws his hands up. It's just 
there's there's no leadership aspect there's no responsibility you know just because you have a fantastic resume just because you you know have that ab- the ability in your former years to be a top player you know it just it feels like there's so much he expects of everyone else and he doesn't have to do a whole lot you know he just can come here and chill yeah you know, that's really that, not that's, the case that's the problem with me if, if i see somebody screaming at a teammate for missing a pass or whatever and that, and then you know you give up the ball and, and you don't turn around and run back like those are those are some of my biggest pet peeves in soccer and i think that's what this is kind of the whole argument in, and again and I, I like i like the idea of gonzalo Higuain in the league i do hope that teams do make these signings but like I probably wouldn't if I was a sporting director. Um, and, and I know that Miami's ethos are different than Philadelphia unions. I know that their budgets are different. Their expectations are different in terms of stars. So I get it. I get why he fits there. But like when a lot of people talk about if you're going to get somebody on the wrong side of 30 with a big name, you have to make sure that they're the right kind of mentality. They have to make sure that they're here for the right reasons. You look at, you know, Nani, I think a, a decent number of people were at least dubious of that signing. You could tell that dude just quite frankly gave a shit. You could tell that, he was treating that as if he was at United or Lazio or, or insert any of the big steps in his career. He was a fantastic locker room guy. He he did give really good production on the field. They faded kind of, he, he would fade kind of in the second half of the season. That's okay. And then you look at Wayne Rooney when he came here, like there were a lot of people that were questioning that, like he's washed or, you know, this isn't a game that's going to age well. He clearly gave a shit. He clearly was wearing all that. Like he, he really uh, brought the level of DC United up and that, that was, you know, he was only here for 18 months, but that was the kind of thing. Or again, if you're going to have this kind of mentality that Zlatan has, and it, it, you have to have this lots on numbers. So I don't know. It, these these are case by case basis. I, I you know I understand the pull for this. I, again, if if you told me that you could sign Gonzalo Higuain for free a year, a year and a half ago, two years ago, whenever they the, the official time that they did sign him, I probably would have done it. I, I would have rolled the dice, but um, you know I, I don't think that has worked out great. You know, and I look at like Alexander Pazzo in Orlando. You know, yeah, another one. Uh, he's putting up. He's doing great this season. You know, obviously injury prone throughout his career. He's, you know, he's looking like someone we, we didn't expect a whole lot of, and he's turning out to be a, a good role player. And, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously been got a massive European resume. You know, and it's just, it just comes down to the individualistic uh, mentality that some of these European players have when they come here. You know, some of them treat it as if they are playing with, you know, their former big European team, and they're competing at a high level, and they're consistent with it. And they're trying to break into the starting 11 every week as if it's not a guaranteed position for them and with Higuain it's it just feels like there's an expectation every week that if he's not on the team sheet he's going to throw a tantrum yeah and so I don't know we'll see how that evolves it's not I think it's a thankless task for Phil Neville I I think that he's been managing it well I I do like that he's you know his press conferences always win me over man like he he seems to say he says the right things and I believe that he's genuine he's somebody who, who tries not to duck questions he'll tell you if you give him a good question he'll get a good answer um he he's publicly criticized Iguain and, and uh, Rodolfo Pizarro before that. He's also taken time to say, you know, I believe in these guys. So I, don't know, I think that he's striking the right balance. Um, you know, we're not there in the locker room. We don't know what it's like on the training ground. But but for me, I, I think it's a difficult job. And, and regardless of, of what lies for his future in this role, and you know, immediately midterm or long term, like, I don't know. I, I think that that's just a difficult job for really anybody to take. 100%. Um, all right. I guess before we go, um, I would like to plug my Jesse Mars feature. So I'm just going to plug it. As such, I don't know. You have any any questions? Any thoughts on that one, Jacob? Uh, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> I uh, I woke up yesterday morning and um, I had a bit. I had a big interview all morning with uh, with Coach Pa Moduka of North Texas SC mm-hmm. for MLS Next Pro. Uh, I got off the interview. I was pretty tired, drinking my coffee. I see you post that uh, boost in my morning, hundred percent time because <laughs> I love I love reading something that not only like draws you in but it's it's something that piques your curiosity too it's not just you know 
taking over your mind just to just to get it done with you know it, it was a really good feature and you know i think a lot of people are looking at jesse as uh, a leader in american soccer uh you know mm-hmm. he he's you know a former mls great and now he's taken charge with you know one of the one of the most historic clubs in england not of recent of course but you know yeah. in terms of you know overall it's, it's a big club. factor it's it's amazing to see you know his growth and to see um you know the the depth that some people have to to bring a character about him, like like mm. little little piece from Sasha. I loved what Sasha said uh, <laughs> about uh, Jesse. Uh, I just I think that you know there's so many things that go into who Jesse Marsh is, and not a lot of people know that. And uh, I think you brought that to life, kind of, and you know a little bit of a co- co- comedic value, but also very serious. Uh, so yeah, I, I appreciated uh, it. I appreciate that. It's kind of words. Um, look, the it, it wasn't so hard in the terms of. Jim Curtin gave a million great thoughts and stories. Josh Wolf, Sasha Question, Bradley Wright Phillips is always a delight. Patrice Bernier, like I, all things to those guys. Um, I don't know. I think one of my one of my favorite ones is is Sasha and BWP kind of talking about preseason. And this is you know that even outside of the Chicago Fire days when he was a player, like all the everything that like the stories that Jim Curtin and Josh Wolf gave were wonderful. But I think like when Jesse took over with the Red Bulls, uh, Sasha Question played with him his first four years of his career. Uh, it was the last four years of Jesse's career. Uh, so it was a cool connection to have there. Um, Sasha almost signed for the Montreal Impact as they were now known as they were then known a few weeks before he signed with the Red Bulls. He even went to Montreal to to be at the club, and he said, you know, I didn't like how the way things are being run, and I think that was a wonderful decision by him to not sign there, just given how, how the how the team has progressed and how great he was with the Red Bulls. But anyway, Jesse Marsh gets a job. He's the one who drives. He's the one who orchestrates that deal to get Sasha Kleshin there. Kleshin had been with Anderlecht for four or five years. They won league titles. He was affectionately called Mr. USA by the fans. The fans really loved him. The club wanted him to play one more game at home. It was like a cup game. It was a Tuesday night, and he was you know, glad he wanted to. He wanted to have a little send-off with the fans. Game ends on a Tuesday night. Takes a red-eye to New Jersey to do his medical. Uh, he's doing all that all day, a little jet lag. He leaves New Jersey that night to join the team down in Florida for preseason and, and you know be with the group. He arrives at 1 a.m., um, and Jesse Marsh is, is in the lobby waiting for him. Give him a big hug. Next morning, he's still jet-lagged at breakfast. Um, and he's kind of getting his bearings. He, you know, he doesn't know, barely knows where he is with all the time zones, all the flights. Barely knows who's around the team. He, he's, he's, you know, finding his bearings, eating his breakfast. Probably didn't want to really be talked to. Jesse comes over, starts drawing on like a napkin, explaining the tactics. And this was before, you know, high pressing was really, I guess, maybe not popular, but it, it was not to this level that the Red Bulls did and Jesse Marsh was doing. And Sasha's like retelling the story. He's like, yeah, man, like he's. He's kind of describing, like, this is how our, our outside backs are going to press their outside backs. And I'm like, this guy's fucking crazy. Like, if, <laughs> if, if this doesn't work, like, we're going to be bad. And then, like, Bradley Red Phillips kind of telling similar stories. He's like, dude, like, even the warm-up to training was so difficult for me. He's like, I'm not fit. Like, I'm not the fittest guy. I don't love running. Like, this is difficult. But, you know, for the two of them, they had an incredible individual and team success. You know, Bradley Red Phillips didn't mind the idea of being option A because the whole thing with high pressing and transition – is you look at the furthest forward option and Bradley Wright Phillips is that. So he's like, yeah, I think I could get behind these tactics. Yeah, I love that. So, yeah, um, again, I hope, I hope you all read it. Uh, it took a long time. There's a lot of words, a lot of, a lot of great uh, editing from the staff at MSSoccer.com. Um, I, think, uh, I think we'll jump off on that. Uh, Schneids, thanks for jumping in. Thanks for pinch hitting. You guys should follow Jacob Schneider. He's good follow on Twitter from Minnesota. And now MLS Next Pro. Uh, aficionado and expert read that on MLS next pro you got a, a any, any that that pa article yeah, so that's, that's all come out that'll be coming out tomorrow we will be doing um yeah it's a it's a collaborative effort so there will be a 
video package from my colleague Michelle Montaigne, along with a written feature from me. I expect that tomorrow evening, early Friday. Um, you know, and it, it's it's something we're we're really excited about to share with you guys. Uh, probably share a little more on the context of it either tomorrow morning or tonight. So again, like Tom said, feel free to follow. Uh, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 